I try to get a feel of you guys. I've been asking a lot of questions. I don't know if there's a lot in here that have been bonded for a long time. But so your counselors, man. They knew a life in Egypt. They felt the, the hardship, the hardships of Egypt. And, and so, but nonetheless, we're, we're in the world before salvation. And we're of that family, the devil. And so we see that number, that third bullet point, Pharaoh, Satan. And, I mean, Pharaoh's a great picture of Satan and the Antichrist. Now, don't lose me in the details. I had to blow through. What time do we stop, by the way? I know. I say that all the time, too. <laughs> what is it? Nine? Holy smokes. Okay. You guys ready for this? You guys ready to rock and roll? Okay, good. Alright. No one said yes, so I just assumed that. Okay, good. Alright, and then Moses, as we already talked about, is the deliverer. Okay. And what happens is there's ten plagues that come into Egypt, and they have four main reasons. You guys know this story? I know you guys are a lot, a lot of church kids here. How many of you guys grew up in church? Raise your hand. Alright, I'm in your crowd, man. Alright? I grew up in church. I understand that. Man, I started going to church probably about third grade. That's when my dad serious about his walk. And so that's what actually led to my salvation, seeing him change. I was like, whoa, this must be real. And so I was a church kid. And so we've heard this story, but I hope you get to see that there is truly a battle going on here in the nation of Israel. And it pictures that there's a battle for your soul. Right? And, and we went through, there's 10 plagues that God brings to, to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And, and here they are, just four reasons why, or four main purposes. They were signs to Israel, assuring them of God's power and care. They were judgments upon Egypt and its ruler Pharaoh for persecuting Israel. It is to show the people of Egypt God's supremacy over their gods. And four, to demonstrate that God was high above all gods. So, Tonight's Sunday night, right? Welcome to Sunday night. Fight night. The battle in Egypt. Let's get ready to rumble! I think that's a copyright law, right? I just broke. So don't post that. Like, I think I infringed. Okay, so, alright, we'll see here. We'll see the rounds. There's these 10 plagues. There's 10 rounds where it's God versus the gods. And I hope you see this differently if you haven't seen this before. It's just not him doing some lice over here, some locusts over here, and just making a scene. He's actually attacking the gods of Egypt. He's actually going through a spiritual battle, and it's an amazing thing. And so in doing so, he's proving a point that he is God and that he is the God above all gods. Now, I want you to see this fight he has for the nation of Israel because if we have the time, we'll see that he had a very similar fight for you, for your soul. So round one, right? There's the Nile that turns into blood, Exodus 7.20. For the sake of time, I put all the verses up here tonight, just tonight, okay? Roll with me. But I know everybody's excited. I don't have to fight sleep so much. You know, I don't have to fight distractions. So I just want you to see this. Here in verse 20, it says, And Moses, Aaron, Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Okay, so this was fighting this guy. Do we have the picture? Oh, yeah, there you go, that guy. This is Sobek, all right? This is a crocodile-headed god. When he turned that Nile into blood, not only, okay, the Nile represented all life in Egypt. Everything was connected back to the Nile. But this guy, Tobek, was an actual god of the Egyptians. He was a crocodile-headed god. He's the god of the Nile. Isis also connected this, another one made of Cyrus. Turning the Nile from water into blood would have called into question the power of all these deities to protect the sacred stream of Egypt. See, this, this stream, this, this river, would have gave them crops, would have given them drinking water, would have brought life into Egypt. And so in this one moment, Jesus in round one makes a stand, say, hey, pay attention. I'm calling all the guys to the carpet. Guys like this crocodile guy. And, and he, 
He defeats them, right? Round number two, we move on. It's, it's frogs. This one, I love this one. This one is probably one of my favorites because of some things. You'll see here in a second. Exodus 8, verse 6. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Anybody like frogs? Okay. Cool when they're one or two. Talk about thousands coming up. Covering the land. Take a picture here. This is a cat. Was the Egyptian goddess of the birth and fertility? Wasn't this in Mandalorian? That little frog lady? Yeah. <laughs> See, they don't, they're not very original. They get it somewhere, right? It all comes from something. So anyway, this is the Egyptian goddess of birth and fertility. This is depicted as a woman with the head of a frog. Alright? So ironically, alright, infertility, you know, never mind, I won't go down that path. Okay. But here's what's amusing. This is what I think. God, he's having this battle, but it's also something that we can laugh at a little bit, but also it proves a point. Here's this God that they would go and serve. I mean, get this through your head. I know maybe this is a hard concept in, in our culture, but they would literally go and bring sacrifices to something like this. They'd actually go and worship it. They would give their life to it. This would be their deity, their God or their goddess. This is how their whole life would be surrounded this this certain deity. And there's thousands of them brought by Moses and Aaron. Think about it. Day in and day out. Frogs everywhere. Right? In your fridge. Your underwear drawer. Right? Those whitey tidies team, when you bring that out, there's a frog. And you're wondering, did the frog leave the street or did you? You know, it, it, it can be a very confusing time with all the frogs, right? Here's the deal. They can't go one step without stepping on their God that they served. They're crushing the very God that they would sacrifice to. Every step, they had to be careful. They're just crushing their God that they worshipped. To the point, you know, I hate mosquitoes. Just hate them. But that's the state bird in Florida. I mean, like, they'll take you off if you're not careful. One bite and you're dried up, man. It's horrible. I hate them. Okay. So, you know, I'm like, ah, mosquito. Ah. Here's the thing that they used to love and worship. They're sick. They hate it now. They hate it. It's not what it once was. So God wants that for the nation of Egypt is hating now, potentially even cursing a God that they worshiped. You track it with me, you see the battles a little bit? Okay, number three is lice. Exodus 18, or 8 verse 17, it says, and they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and it became Lice and man and beast and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. I don't know if I have a... Okay, so this one is a guy named Geb, right? Sometimes called Seb. You can't figure out if he wants an S or a G. He's the god of the earth. And interesting, Geb was often portrayed with the head of a snake. And what's interesting, this would have connected also back to when Aaron dropped the rod and it turned into snake. It would have been attacking this God. See, that, those, were, those were fighting words in that round. That was just getting the party started when he dropped the staff and it turned to a snake. He was challenging those gods. Round four is flies. Exodus 8, verse 24, The Lord did so, and there was a grievous swarm of flies in the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, and out into the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. This one... Look at that guy. This is Kepri. In his related creation and rebirth, it was depicted, depicted as a man with a head of a fly. And you're like, how could you worship these things? Like, seriously? Like, it, it sounds like a toddler made these guys up. Let's take a fly and put it up. You know, these, are, these represent spiritual beings. These are, this is a spiritual warfare over the nation of Israel. He's not just picking things. He's not just random. Let's do some lies. Let's, let's do some flies. Let's do some boils. Let's do some lies. No, 
He's directly going after their guts. Round five is a play on life step. And I don't, Exodus 9 verse 6, and the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But the cattle that showed the Israel died not one. I don't think I have a, a picture for this one. But man, these creatures would have a head of a, a cattle and a body of a man or a woman. Round six was boils. Exodus 9, verse 8 through 11. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take you to the handful of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt. It shall be a boil, breaking forth with blades upon man and upon beast throughout the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. It became a boil, breaking forth with blades upon man and upon beast. And the magicians, this is great, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the, one, the Egyptians were very clean people. They would shave their whole body. They, would, they didn't want hair or anything upon them. And so they're very clean. And so these boils that would come on not only attack their cleanliness, but also attack a guy like this. Right, this is... Uh, Horus, who is the great god of health, medicine, and healing. None of these so far seem to have the power to stop this ter terrible plague of skin sores upon all the people of Egypt. If, if these before hadn't brought Egypt to their knees yet, this would have been the one that really would have, had, would have done it. And it continues though. Round number seven. This is hail and fire. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch forth thy hand toward heaven, and there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, upon beast, upon every herb of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran along upon the ground. The Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with hail. Very grievous, such as there is none like it on the land of Egypt since it became a nation. I don't know if I have one. Oh, yeah. This guy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm moving quickly. Are you guys able to keep up and get ready? But these rounds God is going through, it's just not an elementary story. It's not just a Sunday school thing. This is a, this is a battle that's waging for the nation of Israel. Round eight is locusts. I'm going to read, read Exodus 10. Else if thou let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. And they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail. And shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And he said to them, Let the Lord be so with you. So I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord for that ye did desire. They are driven out from Pharaoh's presence. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. They may come up upon the land of Egypt to eat every year of the land, even all that hail, hail hath left. I don't know if I had, oh yeah, this is Osiris. He was a ruling God over the crops and the land. This plague of locusts brought the utter destruction of all remaining plant life. This would, have proven, or this would have proven that Osiris was powerless in the face of the living God of heaven. And then there's darkness. How many of you like the dark? Okay, a couple. You ever been where it's so dark you felt something? Like there's something in there? Check this. I don't want to anybody out, but check this. This is just one of those cool things in the Word of God. All right. Exodus 10, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand toward heaven, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Yeah, mm-mm. Mm. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. And they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. This has been that, that God of Ra. Probably heard that one, right? The sun god. 
This is the second to last plague when it affected the dominion of one of the highest gods in the entire Egyptian group of gods. And then round 10, the death of the firstborn. Here in Exodus chapter 11, and Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn land of Egypt shall die. For the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throat, even under the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there were none like it, nor shall it be like it anymore. This final plague affected the two mightiest gods in the entire kingdom, Pharaoh himself and his son. See, Pharaoh and his son were depicted as gods and that they could never die. And here, one night, one final blow, that firstborn was gone. Now, why do I share that? Why do we jump right in? You're like, Cody, you didn't really give us an intro. I know I'm emotionally distraught right now. Get, roll with me. Okay. But here's the deal. One round after another round after another round, God comes out the victor. And here this last one does it all. It's a knockout. And they're able to go. I want you to pick something up though, real quick. I think it's in your notes. Whatever a person sets his heart on, trusts in the most, and spends the majority of their time and resources chasing, that is their gods. See, if you don't have Christ yet, you're chasing some gods of this world. It could be athletics, it could be time, it could be money, it could be girls, it could be guys. You, you probably know your gods better than I can produce a list. And God's like, hey, he may have to do some things to get your attention. He may have to knock some of those gods out so you can see that he is the almighty God. And you look at it as hardship. You look at it as, how dare he? You look at it as, why is he doing these or hard things in my life? Why do I have to go through that? Because the whole time there's a spiritual battle for your soul and he's trying to get your attention. And he may have to eliminate some gods that you've been worshiping, that you've been following, that you've loved, so that he gets your attention that, hey, look, I'm here to save you. I'm fighting for your soul. And man, I tell you, here's a, sometimes I do this, I'll do timeout, meaning like, okay, this is not really part of the message, but there's a point here that we gotta get, okay? See, some of us have been saved. And we go back to those gods again. We go back to Egypt. And we begin to serve those gods that God had fought for us to get rid of out of our life. And sometimes God's got to take them out again so he can get our attention. He had to do that with me in basketball. And I was giving, I was going after, and I was like, all right, I was saved at this time. But I was getting everything I got. And God got, man, I got sick. I had pneumonia and mono at the same time. I was out for six weeks. So I lost 25 pounds of muscle. It was my freshman year of high school. It was a week before trials. I come back after all that, somehow still with bees, even though I did nothing. And the coach is like, hey, I still want you to play. He's like, coach, I can't run up and down the court. How can I, how can I play? Now, I didn't get bitter. I didn't get ticked. But as I matured more, I was like, man, you took that out of my life to get my attention. And he did. Man, it was one of those things that I praise God now for. I'm like, man, Lord, I was going down the path, back to bondage, back to Egypt. He took that out to get my attention. And I, I just say all that, that some of these things that we may, may devastate us, we kind of like, ah, oh, that's stunk, or man, that, that doesn't make sense, or why is that happening, or why is God doing this? may just be that he's trying to get your attention because he's fighting for you. He's a man of war. He's fighting for your soul. But here's the deal. Don't wait till tomorrow. And before we move on, I got here's another timeout moment. You know those frogs? I mean, as they start to die and pile them up, they stink. 
They're stepping on them. They're in the underwear drawer. They're everywhere. You know what Pharaoh says in Exodus 8, verse 10? He said, tomorrow. He said, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. He tells Moses and, and Aaron, hey, will you get rid of them tomorrow? Can I tell you real quick? If God has been showing you and kind of destroying some of the gods in your life up to this week, why do you want one more night with the frogs? Why do you want one more night with these false gods that he's been fighting and defeating over and over and over so you can see him for who he is and you want one more night with the stinking frogs? Why do we want one more night with our sin? Why do we want one more night in this false religion, false system, false thinking when he, he's, he's proven himself up to this point? How much more did he need to see? How much more do you need to see? And so here there's a spiritual battle. I think this is your note. There's a spiritual battle for your soul. I put 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 in your notes. For this reason, it says, Let Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I put a, a chunk of things in your notes. And I would just challenge you, maybe your daily motion or something, to just to work through these things. Of how Pharaoh had some counterattacks. See, God, God worked. And then Pharaoh came back trying to keep the nation of Israel in the land. And I'm telling you this week, guys, for some of you that trying to get out of Egypt, trying to get delivered, the enemy... The enemy is going to counter those things that God is doing. You see it time and time again. Especially with the guys and the girls. Right? This, this, this guy couldn't get a girl to save his life. And he starts to make right decisions for the Lord. He wants to be sold out. And now, there's like three or four girls going after him. It's like, what? They just, one week, he doesn't, he didn't shower and he, everybody likes him. How does that work? Or same thing with girls, man. You kind of come on the scene, and now there's two or three guys here, and you've made some decisions for the Lord, but man, there's a counter. I'm not saying the boys are devils. Don't get that, okay? You say it? Okay. But here's what I want you to do that if you have some time to do a devotion, to go through these and just see how Pharaoh tried to counter each one of those rounds. But here's what I want you to see. Exodus 14, verse 14, it says, The Lord shall fight for you. I love the book of Esther. Esther's one of the cool books. But you know in the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned. It's never there. But you can see God working the whole time. He's through, he's woven into the story. Even though his name's not mentioned, you can see him. And same thing, God has, has been fighting for you to get you to this week. I believe with all my heart, he's been fighting so you can get to this week and have the opportunity to hear, to, to see the what God actually says in his word about you and your soul. But I'll wait see it tonight, if you can, baby. Bear with me, okay? Trust me, I'll slow down as the week goes, all right? Tonight's just a lot. I just need to get this in here so we can get moving to the other things. But I'm not going to move real quickly to the next thing. I want you to grasp this next section. All right, so Exodus 12. If you need to see it better, it'd be good to open your Bibles. All right, if you need, it, if you need to see it, you can't see the screen, it may be good to open your Bible. But Exodus 12. Leading up to the death of the firstborn, that last round. The nation of Israel was commanded to go get a lamb. You got who's heard this? This is this lamb. Okay. He went to go get this lamb. You're supposed to take this lamb and you're going to kill the lamb, take the blood and put it on your door or your doorpost. And the, this death angel is going to fly over. And if he sees the blood, you don't die. All right. If he doesn't see the blood, the firstborn in the house dies. Simple instructions. 
Look at with me in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, there shall take to them every man a lamb. We recognize that. Just put that away. A lamb. Keep going. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And the household be too little for, what does it say? The lamb. The lamb. Okay, he goes, A lamb. Now to the lamb. And he's going, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. What does it say? Your lamb. Your lamb. Shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it to take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take in the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat. And then verse twelve and thirteen. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. Will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Here it is. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. There's that battle against the gods of Egypt. Those ten rounds I went through, he's going to now finalize it with this thing. But the way the nation of Israel was going to be saved from this last round is if they, they took the lamb. And the battle was then won with that lamb. And in order to avoid the death of the firstborn plague, the people of Israel had to kill a spotless lamb and apply the blood to the doorpost of their house. When the angel of death saw the blood, he passed through the house and the firstborn was saved. Maybe some of you will get this, maybe you don't. Man, if it sticks, awesome. In the same way, God rejects your first birth, your physical birth, so that we'd be born again by the blood of the spotless Lamb of Jesus Christ. I want you to see the progression one more time. We see a Lamb. We see the lamb. Again, I put a lot of notes in your in your little handout. Okay, if you think Jesus is just some guy, some cool dude, he's just a lamb. Awesome, right? Cool deal, whatever. That doesn't do much for you, though. A lot of people will say, "Well, Jesus is just a oh, he's a good teacher." Can I, I maybe you've heard this, but I love doing this. A good teacher, really? He's, yeah, yeah, he's just a good guy. Jesus was a good guy in history. Okay. He's told grandmas that if you believe in him, that they'll live on for eternity. And if he wasn't, if that's not true, he's been lying to a lot of grandmas. Now, I don't know what your moral standard is, but when you lie to grandma, mm-mm, yes, no, no. <laughs> so... He's just a guy. Who cares? There's tons of just guys. So if he's just some guy to you, that doesn't do much for you. But then it says the lamb. And I want to I want to show you something here. Now I can't remember where I got this from. It's, trust me, my math is as bad as my English. Okay. <laughs> Brain, right? Hey, Brain, where are you at, Brain? Are you bilingual, right? Yeah. Okay. My English is horrible, right? It's so bad. I used to, like, especially in youth group when I had a youth, uh, when I did youth, I used to say post in, in place of suppose. Like, you post to do that, right? <laughs> okay, that's how I said it. But you know what I wrote? P-O-S-T. Like, that's how bad it was. It was, just, I was my English is bad. So if you see errors in here, or you hear me speak, you just know, okay, that's just code, right? We at least know he's not copying somebody, it's at least it's his. Right? 
Okay, but I got this from somebody, okay? Now I'm telling you, I'm going to tell a story how this worked out in my life. If you just take and think about these things, you just take the next moment. Right now, God is fighting for your soul. I want you to think about these things. It says over in your notes, over 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament. 300 prophecies. The Bible is written with around 40 different authors spanning some 4,000 years. Probability, also known as odds, is a branch of mathematics that measures the likelihood that a given event will occur. To begin, let's look at some interesting odds. The odds. The dying of a heart disease is 1 in 5. That statistic might be old, too. Probably, it might be like 1 in 3, 1 in 4 now. Dying in a car accident, 1 in 84. Being struck by lightning, 1 in 700,000. My grandma's been struck twice, so there you go. And lives. She's crazy. All right. And then four, she didn't, she didn't hit this one, being killed by lightning. Right. Attacked and killed by a shark, one in three something. Right. Becoming president, yeah. My odds are way, like, that's not going to happen. Um, winning the lottery, and then a meteorite landing on your house, one in that number. Right. Is there anybody that has that? That'd be cool if someone... I'm that one. No, okay. So this guy named Dr. Snyder did a study in the odds of Christ fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. Now I need you to stay with me. If eight of the 300 prophecies were fulfilled here, here's the probability. So Christ, he is prophesied that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, that's one. The probability of that happening is one in 280,000. You have a better chance of you dying in a car accident than you would telling me that Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. It's prophesied that there's going to be a forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, that is one in a thousand. Three, Christ enters Jerusalem on a colt, one in a hundred. Christ is betrayed by a friend, one in a thousand. Christ will be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, one in a thousand. 30 pieces of silver cast it down and used to buy a potter's field, one in a thousand. Christ kept silent when on trial, one in a thousand. And Christ crucified, one in ten thousand. Those are some crazy odds that those prophecies would come true. Are you following me? Do you understand these stats? I'm moving us to a point. Now to answer the question, was the probability of one man, just one, this this guy fulfilling all eight prophecies the principle of probability is applied take all eight pro probabilities and multiply them together and here's what you get here's the odd of all eight of these coming true in one man one times ten to the twenty-eighth power would you say a lot <laughs> a lot I think I put all the zeros in your notes. One. Alright. Here it is. The issue of all Christianity is dependent upon who Jesus is. He wasn't just a guy. He was the guy. He wasn't just a lamb. He was the lamb of God. That title is used for him. No. Why I bring this up? One of the reasons I bring this up. I'm in college. I'm going to a community college. And I graduated from Raytown South High School, which none of you know what that is or where that's at. So I graduated from there, and I'm going to the community college. I got two free years, and so I'm just doing the two free year thing. And, uh, man, I, I get in my philosophy class, and I'm in my philosophy class. This guy named Doug Washer. Okay. If you know him, say hi. But Mr. Washer hated God. Well, he said he didn't believe God. And so all semester long, he is just destroying my God through logic and through all these things, through arguments. And he just, every chance he has, and I'm one, and I said, I'm a weird guy, and you'll get to know that. But I, I would carry my Bible to school. Starting in high school, I carried it every day to school. And then every day in college, I just kept, it was, I just loved it. I didn't put it in my backpack, I just carried it with me. And so every day I plop my Bible on my bed. Of course, Mr. Washer would see it. And so, man, it was a battle. 
It was a spiritual battle every time I went to philosophy class. But at the beginning of class, when we get the syllabus, he said, hey, I'm just letting you know, you Christians in here, I will be attacking your faith. I mean, he's bold. He just nailed us. I'll be attacking your faith all semester, but I'll give you one day, one day to defend this God that you believe. So I'm, I'm waiting for the day. I'm preparing. I'm getting ready. And so the day comes, and, and so, all right, Christians, you get a chance. And before I get my hand up, this other guy gets his hand up. And, and for some reason brings up Noah and the flood. And it's just, it was horrible. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Just, shh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was so bad. And so I'm waiting for this thing to get done. And so finally it done, I raise my hand. And he's ready. He's like, all right, Mr. Blaze, give it your best shot. Hey, Mr. Washer, you do you know that there's 300 prophecies? I went right through this. There's 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. And they all came true. But let's, let's just slide all that. There's eight. Let's just take eight of them. Like he was born in Bethlehem and rode around in a cult and all this stuff. And there's eight of them. And they all came true. We know that they came true. And here's the probability. One times 10 to the 28th power. I said, Mr. Washer, what do you have to say about that? It's quiet like it was right now. And this is what he said. He said, Mr. Blaze, that doesn't impress me. Now, mind you, he's been teaching us logic all semester long. He's been teaching us how to use facts and stats and how to use and argue. He came out and says, that doesn't impress me. That's not an argument. It's not meant to impress you. It's meant to state the fact. And right then and there, he just is so cool. God, he, he was done for the rest of the semester. Not one thing he could say. Come to find out. Have you seen that dead, God's dead? Where God's not, yeah, that, yeah, that one. They stole that from me, okay? <laughs> because, so I have a youth group much like this size and all this stuff, and I'm telling this story over and over to our youth group, and it's just one of those illustrations that us youth pastors use all the time, you know, to prove a point. And, and the, I, the movie's coming out. And I said, hey guys, I just want to let you know I sent my script in, and they're making a movie. And so I played the trailer, and they all believed me. I'm like, what? That's your story? But I had to confess that I lied to everybody. But anyway. <laughs> I asked you, are you done washing tonight? That that doesn't impress you? That you're still like, you know, yeah, the probability. Okay, yeah, it happened. But you know what? That doesn't impress me. Impress me. You know what was Doug Washer's problem? He actually hated God. His wife had come down with some horrible disease, and he would say, like, why would she come down with this? And the drug guy on the street can continue on. And I'd be like, why do you hate something you don't believe in? Listen, does that not impress you? Because it wasn't meant to impress you. It's just to be this, to state the facts. And Almighty God has been fighting for your soul. And he didn't do it through some guy. He did it through a certain guy. The Lamb. The Son of God. Now I'm telling you what, no bookie in Las Vegas would take these odds. You would not bet a cent on these odds. But these are the odds that God overcame to prove to you, I'm fighting for you. I want to be we need to. There's some more prophecies, but here's the issue of eternity. The issue of eternity is dependent upon who Jesus is to you. See, the nation of Israel, yes, round after round this happened, but the round that freedom was this was this lamb. And they, could, they got a lamb, and they called it, it was the lamb, but 
it didn't matter. If it didn't become theirs and they applied that blood to the door, it didn't matter. The angel of death would come and they would die. So number three, you're welcome. You can see in your notes, this lamb was without blemish, just like our Jesus Christ was. This lamb had to become a substitute, just as Jesus Christ had to become a substitute. Your substitute. Here's a little side note. There must have been at least 250,000 lambs slain at Passover. That night, potentially 250,000 lambs were slain, but you never find the word lambs. You just see the word lamb. The great representation of Christ that he was going to be the lamb for you and for you and for you. See, John 8, 34, I think it's in your notes, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say to you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. You remember Egypt, the picture of the world and the sin system. When you and I were born into this world, we were a servant of sin. We were trapped in Egypt. We were caught in bondage. Ephesians 2 says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See, there's a God of this world. There's a prince. And God fought for over your soul. We don't have time, but if you go to Psalms, I believe it's chapter 22. It talks about, it portrays Christ and him on the cross. And it says, the bowls of Bashan encompassed it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember seeing any painting with a bunch of around the cross. That was supposed to be a cow sound. Like, you guys have cows in Ohio? Okay. Was that that bad of a cow sound? You didn't know what the, you're all still looking at me like, what was that? Is that better? Okay, thank you. All right. You know what's awesome? What's, what's so crazy? Not only the pain, not only the, the, the persecution, not only the whippings, not only the hitting and the bruising, all those things, not only the nails, but circling that cross were the bulls of Bashan. And when you study that out, there was a spiritual battle happening at that cross at that moment. Those bulls just represented just as these gods represent true identity, true deities, true gods. Those bulls represent the same thing, and there's a spiritual battle for you. When you do something, you know this is something that I want you just to meditate on. It says, you know John 3.16, right? Have you ever done this? You place your name in the place, like for God so loved the world, instead of that, say for God so loved, you put your name Go ahead and do that in your notes. You have the blanks. For God so loved code, that he gave his only begotten Son, and if code believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, I knew he was a lamb. I grew up in a Christian home for the most part. I went to a Christian school. I knew he was a lamb. I knew he was the lamb. Yeah, cool. He's the son of God. Yeah, I get it. Then he came and died for me. Believe all that. Yeah, got that one checked out. But it's what I said. Cool. It's on a Sunday night. See, I've been wrestling with the my what I thought was my salvation. See, that, that grandma that got struck twice by lightning. Okay, she's kind of crazy. All right, so she was driving me home, or driving me to somewhere down a dirt uh, gravel road, and she looks into the rearview mirror and looks back at me with her eyes. And she asked me, hey, Cody, do you want to go to heaven? I'm like, yeah, why not? She says, well, you know, if you pray this prayer after me, then you can go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. Oh, cool. And so, like, five, six-year-olds, I have. I prayed a prayer as my grandma with her little beady eyes looked at me and through the rearview mirror. And I prayed. And I hung on that for a long time. 
When I was in middle school, I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling with this whole thing that God fought for me. And he loved me. And that my sin, not only did he die for me, but my sin is the wages that I have to pay. And it all came together that, yeah, he was a lamb, and yeah, he was the lamb, but mm, he never became my lamb. It never became real. And I remember in wrestling for like two weeks, like, am I saved, am I not? You've been there? And then like kind of throwing up a prayer on the pillow just to cover yourself, you know? And you're going back and forth in this whole wrestling, this whole battle for my soul. And I, I, I even went to my dad. Dad, do you ever doubt? Yeah, I doubt. And he kind of shared some things, but it didn't really help. And one night, I looked into my mirror. And I looked into my eyes. And I know I'm shaking. And I look into my eyes. And I look at me. If you're not saved, you don't know where you would spend eternity. Because he's not yours. I'm not yours and you're not mine. And I knew right then you need to become my lamb. Not somebody else's. Mine. And I knew looking into my eyes, no more, nobody else, no one else talking, looking in my eyes, I knew my soul was destined for hell. But my God had been fighting for me. So one I, I wish I could say that night I got saved. But just a couple days later on a Sunday night, you know, I was sitting over like the pews over here on this side. And I said, I'm done. And that night is when I applied the blood to my doorpost. That was the night that I received not just a guy, not just the guy, my guy, my Savior. And why we have to do this tonight, why we have to start here, because in Exodus chapter 12, they are about to do this thing with the firstborn. It says this in verse 11. And you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. See, when you get saved, God has meant it for you to go to war. Gird your loins is a phrase that they would use that before they would go to battle. They'd have to gird their dressed in a certain way so that they can run. And then it says, hey, you need to put your shoes on. Okay. He saved you not only for war, he saved you to walk with him. And this staff in your hand, he's got work for you to do. See, he, he fought for your soul. And then now he has a plan. Exodus 6, verse 7 shows us a little bit of that. It says, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will bring you in unto the land. It also says that in Deuteronomy 6, it says, and he brought us out from this, and he might bring us in. See, with God, when he asks you to put something off, he wants you to put something on. When he wants you to stop something, he wants to start something. See, those ten rounds weren't just to deliver the nation of Israel, but was to bring them to a place that's called the land, the land of promise. You know, what's interesting with us is that God doesn't deliver our soul. And that's it. He, brought, he wants to bring you out, or has brought you out, so he can bring you in to a victorious Christian life. Now, if you're in the, the salvation boat, okay, if you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm saved, you know, when you're talking about that thing, I'm looking in your eyes, man, I can relate. I, man, some, may, maybe this morning you were like, man, when Stephen was preaching, I was like, man, I, I need to get saved. I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You're ready for that, okay? Hold your role, okay? I'm going to come back to your neighborhood in a second. Okay, all my Christian brothers and sisters, 
You fought for your soul. And you've been delivered. And it was a vicious fight for you. It was a tough one. And you're like, oh, thank God, I'm not that bad of a kid. I haven't done that much. Yeah, but the fight for your soul was on a whole different plane. And he fought for you viciously, with effort, and with love. Listen, I'm, I'm one of those guys, if you fight for me, you got my heart. Like, man, I'm yours, man. My heart in it. If you fight with me, I'm, you know, even Andy, I would go to, if he fought for me, I'm with him, no matter what he does, right? He can make a fool of me, he can, you know, put underwear on my head, whatever you want to do. I'm with, I'm with him, right? Okay, listen. There's two guys that, this is something my dad would do, okay? My dad, if you would get to know him or he'd have you over or was taking you home in the car, he would take you first to the gas station on the way. And he would say, hey, you want a soda? You want a pop? What do you guys say here? Pop, okay, or Coke, or whatever. So he would take, take them in and give them a drink and then go and then take them home. It's just something that he did, all right? So there's these two guys, and they're Toy and Curtis. And, and I'm in the back seat, and, and I'm riding with him, and these guys are a bit older than me, just in, in, they're in their late, or early, well, late teens, early 20s, maybe. These guys had seen the streets, and when I say the streets, they had seen the streets. They'd seen people killed, they sold drugs at times, they horrible home, just division, mom, dad, all over the place. I mean, they, these guys came from a very rough place. And I'm sitting there, and they love God. I mean, just love them. They're passionate. In our church, man, we, we had two balconies, or not two balconies, we had the lower floor balcony, and them and their friends would be up at the top balcony. Man, they'd be going, right? Just praise the Lord. They had no shame. These guys could rap. I mean, they could rap well. I loved it. And they, they would go down on the street. This is where they used to sell drugs, where they used to do this old life, these, where the gods of that world used to have them, and and they'd go down there and they'd have these rap battles. It was awesome. And these guys would, man, cuss at them and dog them and uh, through the rap and all these things. And they'd come back with verses and, you know, these amazing rhymes and just blow these guys away, use the gospel through the rap. I just, I couldn't, they're street preaching. It was amazing. They're winning all their friends to Christ and just turning the world upside down. And I'm sitting there like in the back seat and I'm like, what? Why don't I have that? Why did they, what did they got? I don't got. And as they walked to the gas station, my dad, my mom, in the car, I was like, hey, mom, I'm saved, they're saved. Why don't I have a passion like they do? Like 13, 14, something, somewhere right there. And my mom was so smooth. She's like, well, Cody, that's what she calls me. No one here call me Cody, right? She's like, Cody, they understand that they've been forgiven much. So they love much. And she's like, Cody, you've been forgiven just as much. But in your mind, you've been forgiven little. So you love little. And she left it at that. And I sat back in my chair, in the back seat. I am, I'm no better than them. My sin is just the same. And God would have gone to the same fight for me that he would have for them. And so when God saved me and forgave me of my sin, it was just as forgiving them. And in that moment, Begin to love him more. It's actually a verse in, in Luke chapter 7. In verse 47 it says, Wherefore I say to you, 
Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, but for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same love, I'm oh, sorry, the same loveth little. Here's why we had to start when we started. Okay, those that are lost, they know that they don't have a relationship with God. Okay, he fought for you. And is fighting for you right now. He's a man of war. He's taking on the spiritual world and the things in your life to get your attention so you can come and apply the blood so that you can apply what he has given to you to your life and so you can be saved so now you can walk with him. No, now you can join him in the war. Now you can go with him and do the work that he wants you to do. If that's you, okay, well, man, you got a decision to make. To all my Christian brothers and sisters, the ones that have kind of grown up in church, you know you're saved, but you know you're not really living for the Lord. He fought for you. He fought for your soul. He gave it all. He gave all he could his life for you. Do you understand the value of that? But I love my brothers. I, I, I'm stealing this from my brother. I, I love Dr. Pepper. Okay, I, I just do. Sorry. If it's poison to you, sorry. Right? But I, I like it. But you know there's a limit to what I'll pay for? Okay, a dollar for sure. Right? Two bucks? Yeah, still doing it. Three, four, it better be big. Right? You start getting five, ten, fifteen, nope. Not worth it. Hey, my brothers and sisters. The worth that he put on you was his son's life. That's what he deemed you worthy of. That's what he traded you for. And when you walk around like there's no fight for our soul, where there ever was, and we walk around like, no, we're forgiven, but it's been little. And so you love little. So if you're sitting down, I come back, I struggle in my walk with the Lord. I, I struggle my ringing. I, I struggle my time. Now I want to be there, but I'm just not. We realize the fight that was for you. And you've been forgiven much. And you will embrace that. It changed this 13, 14 year old's life. Outside of my salvation, I remember that backseat in the car with the talk with my mom. That changed my life. Because as I realized I had been forgiven much, and that he fought for my soul just as he did for Curtis and Toy, my love changed. He's a man of war. He's fought for you. Some of you guys, he's fighting for you now. Are you impressed? Or is he your, your man? Let me pray for you while Stephen comes up. Lord, I just thank you. For these guys, and I fight for them in prayer. They don't know me from nobody. I just and I just jumped in. I know, but Lord, I pray that they all they see you is you, and all the things in their life that they may have seen hard or crazy or don't know where it came from. They can view it as all those things work together so they're here now. That you've been fighting for their soul. And they wouldn't want to live with the frogs another day. They wouldn't let the enemy convince them another night. But today will be their day of salvation. That tonight they say, okay, I'm done fighting. I give. I give to you and that they would receive Christ. And my brothers and sisters that had just struggled with their walk and made a lack of passion or man, they just don't feel like they get it. That they would know that the man of war has fought for them. And they deemed, you deemed us worthy for the battle and you have won the victory for our soul. And we'd understand we've been forgiven much. And in return, Lord, we will begin to love you much.
So we're ready for the war. We're ready to walk, ready to do the work that we've been brought out of Egypt to be brought in to the victorious Christian life. Lord, let us, let us see these truths. We love you, Lord, your name.